What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined as always by my man, David Lake. David, Clemson week, it is here. Miami and the uh, Clemson Tigers will face off on Saturday. We are going to basically just do a bunch of podcasts over the next few days to talk about this game. Um, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, you know, I've been, I think we, we started this site back in 2007, and this might be the biggest game that I've covered this Miami program uh, since 2007. And, and I say that because, you know, look, Clemson's favorite, Clemson's a heavy favorite, but I think there's a chance Miami could, could make some noise this week uh, in this game, whether they win or whether it's a close game. I think it's going to be a good game. I think Miami has a chance to make a statement on Saturday. So I'm definitely excited uh, to see how they look on Saturday. Absolutely. So a uh, little housekeeping. Um, the plan, like I said, is we're going to try to churn out uh, a bunch of podcasts over the next few days leading up to the game. Uh, this episode, we're, we're taping it on Monday. We got Josh Pate, who is a... Um, national writer personality for 24 seven sports. Uh, he, 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 we talked to him. Um, and then we're going to have some other guests hopefully here, uh, throughout, uh, the rest of the week. So let's get into it with Josh. And then, uh, we, we will, uh, talk on the back end uh, with some more about the tigers joined now by 24 seven sports director of video, the host of late kick, which is 24 seven sports college football show on youtube josh pate josh how you doing man i'm good man i'm excited to talk about and let me let me say this slowly a premier college football week in the atlantic coast conference i'm jack <laughs> yeah um i guess my first question for you and it seems like you are kind of dialed into the whole uh gambling side of things or uh up to date with with lines and whatnot um What's your reaction to Miami opening as a 15-point underdog to Clemson? Do you think that number is right? Where, did you think it was going to be more? Did you think it was going to be less? Or where, where do you, where do you, what was your reaction, I guess, on Sunday when you saw that number come across uh, the board? Yeah, I didn't think there was any way on God's green earth they were releasing Clemson under a two-touchdown favorite. I didn't think that was going to happen. Now, there's a big difference between maybe what I make the number in my own personal numbers versus what I thought the line would be. I do make it under two touchdowns. So I make it a little bit tighter than that. But I mean, can you imagine like if you guys are running Andrew and David sports book down there and you put out Clemson minus 11 and a half, do you even have Miami money come in? Are, are you totally leveraged to where the Saturday's outcome is going to determine the next 10 years of your sports book? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think the line is fair. I I'm curious like you alluded to, I'm curious where it ends up. Um, you know, we, we've seen Miami three games now, Josh, and I'm sure you've, you've caught some of their games being in prime time and whatnot already with Louisville and Florida State. What, have, what do you feel like we have learned about Miami uh, during just those three games? Just big picture-wise, what have we learned about them? And, and what do you want to find out about them this week at Clemson? Well, You've noticed more and more, like when you get into these big time settings, no one's winning without the ability to disrupt the quarterback on a consistent basis anymore. No one's doing it. And it really helps if you can contest elite wide receivers. 
which brings us to this game, what I've seen so far from Miami is um, you would kind of categorize them if you're watching from a 50,000 foot perspective as figuring things out. Um, I think it's very, it's very admirable that while we've seen other teams nationally struggle mightily bringing in new parts, you've seen Miami bring in all sorts of new parts and listen, UAB's not, not a bad team. They handled UAB. They went to Louisville on the road, handled Louisville and guys, it was under 70 degrees. So those are not <laughs> ideal conditions for Miami to play in. And so I think it's a really good barometer and you have a dynamic presence at the quarterback position, which I think always gives you a chance. It's just when you go into these games against Clemson, you know that it's one of two or three big red Sharpie circle games for them that they have per year. You know they're up for it, and you know you have a low margin for error. And so that's the thing I wonder about the most, the margin for error, um, the timing and rhythm and everything being in harmony that needs to happen for these kinds of games. But when you look over on the other side, I'm sure we'll get into this, um, you know, kind of when you, when you talk about people betting one way or the other, people leaning one way or the other, most people just bet teams. They don't bet numbers, which is the antithesis of what you kind of want to do in these things. So I understand seeing Trevor Lawrence over there. I understand seeing that tiger paw on the side of the helmet and understanding what it means and understanding what that you on the side of the helmet hasn't meant as of late. But if we're throwing that out, like if you guys, if we had all existed on Mars up until this very moment and we landed here and all we had to go on was what we've seen in 2020, we would favor Clemson. I don't necessarily think we would be speaking about them with this reverence and this insurmountable tone that people seem to have in their voice. It's like, it's kind of like they talked about the Virginia game last week. Now that was a four touchdown game. This thing's two touchdowns. This is, this is a winnable game for Miami. It's just a lot of boxes have to be checked. When I tell me if if you agree with this or if I'm being too much of a Miami homer. So when I when I've watched Clemson against Virginia, right? They have a good defense. I'm not saying otherwise. The defense is good. It just doesn't quite seem as salty as we've been accustomed to seeing the Clemson defense, you know, the last 4 or 5 years. Uh, do you think that is fair to say? Do you think it, it's just a situation where maybe, you know, similar to like you were saying with Miami's offense, it could be a work in progress. It'll get there eventually. Uh, you know, maybe it gets there this week against Miami. What, what would you say are, are, are kind of your opinions on what you've seen maybe from Clemson's defense up to this point? Their defense isn't what it has been, and it shouldn't be what it has been. If we, if we apply any kind of conventional wisdom this sport has taught us, and we consider what they have been, and then we look at, how young they are in many spots. I think in the many years, this one kind of just fitting along with what we have seen in the ACC in recent years. I don't think this is the first time we've said this about facets of Clemson's team early in the year. It's just, you always wonder, is it going to matter? Like if you have a crack in a dam, but you have no water pressure on it, you don't ever see the crack, even though it's there. So I guess to metaphorically speak about Miami, especially when you have good enough run game, you have a dynamic playmaker at quarterback, and you hope to be able to put enough pressure on Clemson, that's the kind of situation where if you haven't been paying attention, you just live in like a preview magazine world where this team's rated number one, they must be flawless or close to it. That's the kind of game you turn on early in the fourth quarter and you become every bit as shocked as people were probably shocked at Mississippi State being held under uh, 20 points last week by Arkansas. It's kind of it's, – your, your eyes want to tell you one thing – but your head should tell you, no, they can't maintain that level of play every year. And you may have enough early season pressure from Miami built to maybe expose some of those cracks if they're there. 
I guess my question for you, Josh, uh, everyone wants to talk about the receivers at, at Clemson. Um, what, what, what have you seen from – Well, who are we talking about here? Because in the past we know who we've been talking about. So who are we talking about right now? I mean, their best receiver thus far has been Travis Etienne, who also happens to be their best running back. And he's a very dynamic threat. But I would say early in the year, if I've watched them, Amari Rodgers is there. And they, they've still got very, very good players. Don't get me wrong. What I'm wondering is, where is the guy that you look at and say, we have no answer for? Or in past years, a couple of guys we have no answer for. I don't think they have that right now. I don't look at Amari Rogers as good as he is. I don't look at him as a Justin Ross type, for example. And so I look at them, and if you understand what you're doing defensively, which is a big key, obviously, and you have um, what I would call plus personnel, not elite, but at least plus personnel, then all of a sudden – you look at a situation, you say, hmm, you know, maybe, maybe not quite as vaunted, kind of like we're talking about defensively, maybe that wide receiver court, not quite as vaunted as years past. And <laughs> I, know we're, I know it sounds like we're painting this really narrow path to victory for Miami. And it, listen, it is going to be a tall task, but I don't see as many of these A-plus units, the wide receiver core for Clemson being one of them, as we've seen in the past. So I don't look at that as a challenge that Miami's just going to have to get lucky to win. I think they can win a fair amount of those matchups. So my, my early take, just big picture-wise on this game, like in terms of Miami's path to win, and, and, you know, like you kind of alluded to, it's probably a narrow path, right? But I think Miami has got to play the game where both teams are in the 30s. So my question to you, which do you think, if, if you had to pick one, which, which do you think is more likely, that Miami's defense is able to hold Clemson's offense uh, under 40 points? Or do you think it's more likely that Miami's offense can score 30-plus on Clemson's defense? I think it's more likely they score 30-plus, but I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't be shocked if either happened. Um, I, you know, it's, it's always tough to envision that because you know you have Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. You know you got ATN back there. Like, those are household names. Those are NFL-caliber players. Um, it takes more than that in big games. Normally, it takes more than that. So I'll lean slightly towards Miami being able to score because we, to me, when I think back to some of these early season type hiccup games, and when I think even back to more premier games in college football in general lately, those big games, like I call it the freeze point, where if you're, if you're able to hit a certain threshold, like if I have two cups of water, and one of them's in 31 degrees, one of them's 33 degrees, well, the one in 31 degrees is going to freeze. The one in 33 will never freeze because it's above the minimum baseline threshold to freeze. And it's kind of like that with your ability to score on a team like Clemson. But if you meet that threshold, like if you're there, it's not only possible for you to score, like it's possible for you to consistently score, especially if they're not quite to the caliber up front that we think they are. And so I think as much as we have questions, I think Brent Venables has a lot of questions about his guys because he knows they haven't had that pressure put on him. He knows they have not faced the dynamic quarterback yet. Um, he probably looks at what Lashley and company are doing. He knows they're going to tempo him a lot more than anyone has to date. So if I'm going defense versus offense, I'll take, I'll take Miami's offense running that score up a little bit. But I would not be surprised if the first happened either. I, I guess – this is one of the questions I know David had written down, um, and it plays right into this. Do you think Miami can get into the 30s, like score 30 points on Clemson? Absolutely. Yeah, wholeheartedly. I, 
I think that a lot of that, you know, sometimes I get into the habit, I guess, at least sometimes of thinking defense, offense, defense, offense. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, those are the parts of a football game that are, I guess, relatively speaking, the easiest to predict, you know, no one ever knows how to predict special teams. No one ever knows how to predict all this stuff, but I kind of look around and if we're talking about maybe, you know, how, how relatively inexperienced Clemson's wide receiver core is, or maybe if we have questions here or there, sometimes by default that bleeds down to special teams, coverage units and whatnot. And so, you know, if, if I am to believe, because the path to victory here obviously has to have Miami playing at an A-plus level. If I am to believe that they are able to click at an A to A-plus level Saturday, then I got to believe that bleeds into all facets of their team. And so who's to say you're not stealing 7 to 10 off field position? Who's to say you're not stealing 7 to 10 off special teams? But even if that weren't the case, if we wash all that out, special teams is going to be a draw and everything just goes according to plan for both sides. If they have some success early, they are dealing with a or Clemson. That is, they are dealing with a different threat in Derek King than they see pretty much anywhere else in the ACC this year. Firmly believe that, and I also believe that um, we've looked around so far this year in in the sport in general, Miami and otherwise, and people have mistakenly just drawn conclusions on guys after one week, two weeks in what we know to be the most unconventional year in the history of this sport, no matter how old you are covering it, and so. I'm looking around and I'm seeing them kind of slop around and get a win against UAB. And some people are saying, man, this offense is not all that much to write home about. Well, okay, how'd they look against Louisville? Like the next time you saw them. And so then you just look at progression and you wonder. We always talk about Clemson peaking at the right time. Well, what if this is Miami's peak week? Like, what if, what if they ping on the chart this week? You're telling me they can't score 30? You're telling me they have the weapons they have. They have the presence they have at quarterback. Rhett Lashley's done nothing to unimpress me so far this year, you're telling me they can't push 30. Um, I'd, I'd push back on that. You mentioned Derek King. I want to get your take on just, you know, coming into the season, some people were questioning, you know, how good he would actually be for Miami. Um, you know, could he essentially be 2018 Derek King or would he be 2019 Derek King? I think was, was the big question. Has he surprised you with what he's done? It's only been three games. I get it. But has he surprised you or been better than what you expected coming into this year? Or what is this kind of what you thought he could be at Miami? He's been about what I thought he would be so far. I don't think you've seen his ceiling yet. I mean, if you go back to camp, like I, I remember distinctly, you guys were talking about it actually during their camp about how impressed people around the program were with his ability to push the ball down the field. And I don't think that's necessarily something that, people associated with him coming in. To be honest with you, I don't think people watched a lot of Houston football. They probably saw highlights on SportsCenter, but they probably didn't sit there and, you know, break down quarter after quarter of all 22 game cut up of De'Eric King. So you think, okay, classic mobile quarterback coming in here. You know, you probably scramble, improvise, make some plays on the run, throw the ball downfield. But if you remember back to camp, I mean, they're sitting there talking about his ability to actually operate in a structured passing game. So, you know, we, we've kind of seen glimpses of that. It certainly hasn't come to fruition the way that you would, you know, think a prolific passing attack is going to come right out of the gate. But, you know, they're also coming out of a situation where they've had a few extra days to work on things here. And it's also, it also stands to reason you've probably circled this Clemson game in general as sort of the beginning of your second season, regardless of how the first few games went. So it is 
very safe to assume we see some things in the passing game from them Saturday that we have not seen yet. And I think that's the next step for that offense. Yeah, I'll say this to your point. You know, I was looking back at, at 2019, right, with Clemson, and they essentially played three close games, uh, North Carolina, Ohio State, and then, well, LSU wasn't close, but they lost that game. So what did those three games have in common is all three of those teams hit at least one deep shot touchdown against Clemson, and there was only one other game in which a team an FBS team hit a deep shot touchdown. That was Georgia Tech in game one. So you got to be aggressive against Clemson. I'm with you. I think Miami knows like they're going to have to be aggressive against Clemson this week to, you know, beat them. Uh, and to your point, they need to get that deep passing game going, which, which there's been opportunities. Like guys have been open. It's just Derek King has not, has not hit on them. Um, uh, let me ask you this, uh, I think you touched on it a little bit, but is it fair to say from what we've seen so far this year, is Travis Etienne also Clemson's best pass catcher right now? Is he their best receiver? Yes. I think they know that. I think, um, I think a lot of people know that. Obviously if you're playing them, I don't know how you turn on game film of Clemson and think anything other than that. And when you listen to their coaches talk, you listen to Dabo talk, they're not going to sit there and, you know, chew their fingernails off in fright in the middle of a press conference, but they know that. And that's concerning for an obvious reason. Like he's a dynamic playmaker, but when you face the better teams, when's the last time we saw uh, passes out of the backfield, take down elite teams. That's not normally the way that you would, you would go about things. So you got to have layers. They always have layers there. They always have guy upon guy upon guy they can lean on and, when you talk about the ones you've taken away from that passing game, sometimes it becomes very cliche to say, oh, they don't rebuild, they reload. And from a team standpoint, that may be true. But from a unit to unit standpoint, once you get in the weeds a little bit, even the best recruiting programs out there, even the best developing programs out there, there are holes, there are deficiencies. We've seen it with Alabama, we've seen it with Ohio State. Clemson's going to be no different. There's not this magic little orb that they exist in to where they're immune from some of the struggles that other teams have. It all goes back to the fact, and you know, I'll go to another one. The Texas A&M game last year was not close in terms of final score, but I, I was up there for that game. And I remember defensively, you know, A&M gave him fits for a little while. And A&M's run game had some success early on. The only limiting factor there, and this is a very common theme for A&M, is they didn't have what it took to push the ball down the field at quarterback. Still don't, for that matter. So we saw this last Saturday. Um, but, you know, there have been times, it's easy to say this in retrospect, there have been times and there will be times Saturday where you're sitting there and you're either saying, we're winning this game because of our ability to stretch the field or on the other side of the coin, if we could just stretch the field, man, we could just, just take some deep shots, even if they fall incomplete, just let them see them. You just wonder, how will you sound midway through the third quarter Saturday? If you could know that, then you'd, well, we could probably sit back in a lounge chair and make a living on this. So I got one last thing and we'll let you get out of here unless Andrew's got something else for you, but I want to take it just big picture, pull things back and talk Manny Diaz, uh, you know, just kind of what he's doing, you know, in 2020. And again, there's still a ways to go. We'll see how it goes this week against Clemson and the rest of the year after that. But I think it's fair to say 2019 obviously was, was not great. Not a great first year from Manny. He made the necessary, you know, quick and, 
necessary changes to try and have a better season in 2020. I guess, you know, you're a guy who, who, you know, monitors all these programs, all these big time programs in the country. Uh, have you been impressed by the way Manny has been able to kind of put 2019 in the past and change the trajectory of, of Miami's program here in 2020? I'm, I'm almost glad they sucked last year. I think a lot of Miami fans are going to end up saying, kind of glad they – because the worst thing they could have been last year, as it turns out, is average. If you're average, you think you're growing. And therefore, he probably doesn't hit the dump button on a lot of aspects of the program that he ended up hitting the dump button on. And then you get stuck in a bunch of average instead of, okay, you, you suck for one year, you get rid of what you didn't need to get rid of or what you needed to get rid of. And the word you use, decisiveness, like that was the key word. He didn't wait two or three years. And that's tough because you're raised in this profession to practice patience. And, you know, you, you plant the seed. It doesn't grow overnight. All these metaphors are pumped into your head. But yet there's this balance because your job's on the line every year. So how do you practice patience versus knowing when something is just not a good fit? And he found, I think, the right balance because he made the move at coordinator. He was very aggressive on the transfer market. And he understood what I did this year. Those weren't good seeds, man. I threw something in the ground, but it's, nothing's coming from that. And so, like, I'm very glad in retrospect last year turned out how it turned out. I think some of the, some of the biggest programs in America can look back on some terrible times. Nick Saban lost to Louisiana Monroe in year one. Like, in retrospect, you look back and, I, I think the best press conference the guys ever had at Alabama was the Monday after UL Monroe. I think they cleaned out a lot of the rot that still existed in that program because of the UL Monroe game. It was probably going to happen anyway because Nick Saban is who he is. But you never know how much of that existed at Miami, even after Diaz got there. You never know how much of it existed that they needed to taste losing to Florida International for to finally hit the dump button, just cleanse and get the right nod of the head and approval from the right people. So I love where they're headed right now. The more the merrier in the ACC as far as I'm concerned. That's, that's such an interesting take, but it's so true just because when you talk with people you know, inside or around the program, I mean, they knew right away that we have to win this season. Like, we have to win. There is no year three. Um, and that's why I think, like you said, you know, changes were made across the board. But I mean, I hadn't heard someone put that in words that way, but, you know, maybe losing to FIU after a bye week is going to help Miami on Saturday because I think this bye week for the Hurricanes is a lot different than the one last year. You know, they're sitting around not thinking that they're going to beat Clemson. Um, so I think you just have a different mentality. That's, that's, a, that's an interesting take, and I think it's kind of spot on there, Josh. Sorry, I had a dog barking in the background. I was trying to yell at him. Listen, I, I, Andrew, I assume that everything you just said, I agree with. So I'm not going to push back on any of it. I'm pushing back on this dog right now. But wait, here's what I did here. What I did here is you said, you know, maybe losing to Florida International coming out of the bye week was a good thing. I know that sounds like it's, it's crazy to think that way. But yet it's so true. It is so true, man. It's, you go through some really terrible times. That's what I tell any fan base, though. Anytime you lose a game, anytime things are bad, it's like you, you may not believe this, but it could be worse. You could be like when Kevin Sumlin was at Texas A&M, and they just kept winning eight games every year. And that wasn't enough to make any moves. But it also certainly wasn't enough 
to ever win anything. Like the, that's purgatory in college football. Average is purgatory. Either be really good or just be so bad that it forces change. I like uh, it. Well, Josh, uh, pl- plug away. How, how can our, our listeners find uh, your show and your work? Yeah, we, um, man, we're really having a lot of success over in the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel right now. Uh, we do late kick over there three nights a week. That's Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday night live. You can watch the replays too there. Uh, the late kick podcast can be downloaded wherever you get podcasts. So I got a lot of stuff, man. There's at least one new piece of content available Monday through Friday. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. You came to our message board, I think, I don't know, one of your first weeks on, on the job. And one of the best posts I've ever seen, someone's like, who are you? And you're like, I'm about to, I'm about to be your best friend. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that, that wasn't nearly as wise a crack as you think. I just need friends. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll we'll let you get out of here. Thanks again for, for coming on. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. Thanks guys. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, David, we are back. Uh, great stuff there from yeah. uh, Josh. Real, real informative. Um, I, I, I know you had a chance today to also, Miami didn't have availability, but Clemson did. And you got a chance to kind of, you know, sift through some of those interviews. Just kind of what is your big takeaway um, from, from that availability? Yeah, so the guys that talked uh, for Clemson on Monday, we, we, we got to see offensive coordinator Tony Elliott, defensive coordinator Brent Venables, quarterback Trevor Lawrence spoke, uh, and linebacker James Skowski spoke. So – Really kind of just the biggest takeaway from all those guys is, is kind of their respect that they do have for this Miami team. It's pretty clear that they, they hold, you know, what Miami's going to do in high regard. And, you know, this is a team, this is a program that knows what real teams look like. You know, they go to the college football playoff pretty much every year now. And so they've played in a lot of big games. They know what talented opponents look like. And it seems like they kind of respect Miami to be, uh, you know, a team that has a chance to, to, to play in that type of game. Uh, you know, j- watching the availabilities, you kind of got the vibe that they weren't necessarily happy with how the game against Virginia went for them. Um, you know, just wasn't, wasn't really the cleanest game, I guess, is the best way to put it. 
they still won by 18 points. But I feel like, you know, both offense and defense feel like there's some things that they need to improve on, particularly this week against Miami, because Virginia did some things that I think Miami's going to take notice of. And I think Miami can execute those things that Virginia found success with at a higher level. Um, so we can get into that more if you like, or, or, or get into whatever, whatever you want to talk about next. Well, the, the one quote I found interesting that came out of uh, Clemson on, on Monday, and it's not even really a, a quote, but Clemson offensive coordinator Tony Elliott basically said that they are uh, very – not concerned, but um, you know they know who Bubba Bolden is. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're, they're going to have to game plan for him. Um, yeah. So, I mean, me and you have discussed at length how much we like Bubba Bolden. So, uh, not surprising, but, um, you know, just found he that also, interesting. He compared uh, Jalen Phillips to Bradley Chubb when he was at NC State, which, you know, I think is high praise. He said Bradley might be a little more twitchy, but just in terms of a defensive end that can wreck wreck you in the run game and also be a factor as a pass rusher. He, he thinks Jalen Phillips has some similar skills there too. So yeah, I mean, Tony Elliott, he, he had a lot of high praise for, for the speed of, of Miami's defense. Trevor Lawrence did as well. Uh, you know, Trevor w- was pretty clear about how it's going to be important to protect the football because Miami's a team that looks to get turnovers and they, they feed off those turnovers and, Trevor Lawrence has done a, a tremendous job protecting the football dating back to last year. So he's going to look to to continue to do that. And that's going to be one of the interesting battles in the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot of respect from Clemson side of things to my, this year's Miami team, um, which, you know, I, I agree with, I think the more data, the more games we see uh, of college football from around the country, the more we get to watch, I think the more impressive we can understand now how, how Miami is like what they've done through these three games uh, stacks up pretty nicely compared to how some of these SEC schools are starting their season. So, you know, Miami's up to number seven in the polls. I think that ranking uh, certainly is a fair one at this point. You mentioned um, some things that Virginia did well, against Clemson that you think maybe Miami could try to um, not copy or mirror, but just take notice of and, and potentially yeah. insert that into their game plan. What exactly are those things? Cause I'll be honest, I did not see much of any of that Clemson uh, Virginia game on, on Saturday. So the thing I think that was most interesting was the way Clemson wanted to defend Virginia quarterback, Brennan Armstrong. Brennan Armstrong is a new quarterback for Virginia this year. He's a lefty. He is like a six foot one, six foot two, 210 pounds. So strong build guy. That's a pretty good runner. He's, he's not as good of a runner as De'Eric King, but he's crafty. Um, he, he can hurt you with his legs and he's got a strong build. So he, he's willing to try and bounce off tacklers if he needs to. Uh, Clemson came out with a lot of three, three down looks and, and kind of, I mean, honestly, similar looks to uh, how Louisville and Florida State came out and tried to defend De'Eric. 
basically, they wanted to force Brennan Armstrong to win the game as a passer. Uh, and, you know, Brennan, I don't think he's as good of a pra- passer as Derek either. Um, but he did have some success. He threw for 270 yards, three touchdowns. He threw two interceptions, um, you know, which, which were costly. But he also found success as a scrambler. He, he ran 22 times for 89 yards. So um, there is going, like, basically the point I'm making is the dual threat ability of Brennan Armstrong was giving Clemson some headaches, uh, their defense. So, and Brent Venables today basically came out and said, like, we're trying to figure out what the identity of this defense is. He still isn't sure necessarily, you know, what the strength of this defense is. He says it's a young defense. Um, They've been dealing with some injuries and some COVID stuff up front on their defensive line. So they're playing a lot of younger guys. Now they're talented. They're five-star recruits, but they're younger guys. So, um, and then I do think it is fair to say, you know, just my opinion, what my eyes tell me, I do think they are missing Isaiah Simmons. Um, You know, the star uh, safety linebacker edge rusher from last defense. They are missing him as a guy who can just wreak havoc uh, against an opposing offense. I don't see much athleticism, quite frankly, from the edge rushers or the linebacker groups uh, that that Clemson is playing right now. So I do think that's going to be a concern, you know, when factoring in that Derek King is a very athletic quarterback. Uh, Now, Brent Venables is one of the best game planners in college football, and he'll have – He'll have a, probably a different game plan, I would assume, that, than they showed against Virginia. Um, but from a pure athleticism standpoint, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Clemson does to match up against both Miami's running backs and tight ends, and then also what they decide to do to try and limit D'Eric as a rusher. Um, so those are, those are kind of the things I'll be watching for on Saturday. No, I mean, uh, I, I agree. I, I, I'm looking at the two deep right now for uh, Clemson. You know, there are plenty of familiar names, but they are, I, I think, a little little green in that unit. Um, I think you could make – I don't know if I'm willing to say this to make the argument yet. I mean, we'll see on Saturday. But I think you could make the argument maybe Miami's defense is slightly better than Clemson's. Mm-hmm. I think you could make that argument. We'll see how it plays out on Saturday. Um, But I guess my point is Clemson's defense is good. I'm not saying otherwise. They are good. But are they quite as good as the Clemson defense we've known the past three or four years? My eyes tell me that it's, it's not quite up to that standard. But I do think Clemson's going, their defense is going to improve over the course of the season. And that might start happening this Saturday against Miami. Do you think uh, Miami's defense has better star players? You, you get what I'm saying? Like um, more game changers maybe Miami has on defense? I think that's fair. Yes. I, I think, you know, you could probably say Clemson might have better depth. Um, you know, just maybe their backups are more talented than Miami's backups. But in terms of starters, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I would take Miami's edge guys all day. I think athletically, Miami's linebackers are more impressive. Now, Clemson's linebackers are more of the, like, senior, five-year player at the college level linebacker who, you know, is a good leader, you know, in good position, understands the defense. But there are athletic limitations with those guys. And also, too, I think there's some limitations with their safety play as well. Um, I would probably give the the edge at corner to Clemson and Miami fans are going to think this is crazy because, (laughs) you know, they're not happy with the, with the corner play at Miami, but I think it's kind of close to be honest. Like I think Clemson fans would also tell you that their corner play hasn't exactly been great either this season. Now against Virginia on, on Saturday night, Andrew Booth made a stunning one handed interception in the end zone, which was a good sign for Clemson that, you know, one of their players stepped up and made a big play and they're hoping that that can breed confidence and improve the play moving forward. But honestly, Clemson's secondary hasn't exactly been uh, super impressive through these first three games. What do you, what is your like initial uh, kind of key to the game? right now for Miami like Miami wins if what uh I know we talked about with Josh like me me and you both seem or Josh thinks they can score 30 points I think me and you both think that Miami should get to get to 30 points how how do they how do they win you're going to have to keep pace with Clemson scoring um you know I'm saying there's questions about Clemson's defense I don't really have questions about Clemson's offense they're going to be a handful I think the challenge there Miami in my opinion has to keep them under 40 um, you know to win the game because I don't know I, I I think Miami could potentially score 40 but I don't feel as great about that as I do Clemson just because the duo of Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne is it's crazy I I'm if you're a defensive coordinator, I don't know what you do to limit that because they're literally the best players at that position in the country. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Miami needs to keep this game in the thirties. And then, you know, once the margins are slim like that, honestly, it, 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 it's cliche to say, but it does come down to things like, uh, you know, field goal kicking, which field goal kickers make their field goals. It comes down to turnovers and field position. So I don't necessarily think the gap between these teams is super wide in terms of raw talent. Um, But look, Clemson's a a real program. So they've been through these type of games before, and that certainly means something. Miami is trying to ascend to this Clemson level. And in order to do that, you got to show up in these type of big games. And, you know, they outside of like Notre Dame in 2017, Miami hasn't really done that. So that's, that's definitely a big question that, that Miami has to answer. I don't think to answer that question in a positive way for Miami, they necessarily have to win that game, win the game this week. I think they just need to keep it close. Um, But yeah, I think to answer your question, Miami's got to keep this game in the 30s and just try and uh, win it in the fourth quarter, if that makes sense. Uh, I mean, you know, who knows what Miami's going to do at punt returner? Um, 
Yes. I mean, I think... But but I'm just yeah. saying, like, you know, having a competent kicker and punter, like... It's huge know. in these games. Like, yeah. you have no margin for error again, to beat Clemson. And that means your specialists need to be on point. Like, that's why that matters. Does it matter against, you know, a UAB? Probably not. But in these games against Clemson, it definitely matters. Let me talk about Travis Etienne, too, for a little second, because... He's ridiculously good. So I was texting this morning with Gabby Urutia, the guy, our coworker, right? And he was, he was asking me what I thought about the game. You know, we, we were going back and forth. And he was saying, Travis Etienne reminds him of Alvin Kamara, who is on the Saints. And I was like, man, that is a great comparison. Because I, I totally see that now with the way Clemson is using him in the passing game. Um, you know, I think you could argue this year he is their most dangerous weapon, of course, in the run game, but he's also their most dangerous weapon right now in the receiving game. Um, Trevor Lawrence is looking for him all the time as a check down option, which means he gets the ball in a ton of space and you got to tackle him one on one. And most college football players can't get that done. So, uh, and, and we saw that over and over and over again against Virginia. I think he converted, uh, well, he finished the night with five receptions for 114 yards and a touchdown. So he's a guy that Miami's going to have to pay attention to in the passing game. And again, I do think he is very, like if you're an NFL fan, he's very similar to the Saints' Alvin Kamara. And honestly, today, this was after Gabby texted it to me, but today Trevor Lawrence said, yeah, Travis Etienne reminds me of Alvin Kamara. Um, Damn. Following the game, uh, Dabo compared him to Walter, Walter Payton. So um, Travis Etienne, you know, Trevor Lawrence gets all the attention because he plays quarterback and he is a generational talent at that position. But Travis Etienne is equally as special at his position at the running back spot. And he's a guy that, you know, can potentially hurt Miami big time too during the game. Anything else you want to hit on before we, uh, we get out of here? Uh, no, I mean, you know, we touched on it with Josh paid a little bit, but the spread opening up at 15. Um, I think it's actually down to 14 and a half. I just saw it 14 and a half, uh, one local. So, um, yeah, that means that I would expect it to continue to do that. So get it now. If you want a key number, uh, oh, let's re- real quick. Uh, this past weekend, I was up in Melbourne. Um, got to see oh, yeah. Miami athlete commit Chase Smith for the first time. I thought he was awesome. Um, he's playing in his senior season at Melbourne High. He was at Palm Bay Bayside. Uh, I think he's a great get for Miami. Um, 6'3", mm-hmm. 205 pounds, super long. Uh, played linebacker, kind of rushed off the edge at, at, at times, also dropped back into coverage, uh, also was receiver uh, when they were on offense. Um, but he's definitely one to, I don't get excited about. And I think a lot of Miami fans are, but it was good to get some eyes on him. Uh, he seems to be completely kind of locked in, uh, going to enroll early. Uh, he, you know, that's good because you want him with David Feely. Um, yeah, but he, he, let me ask he, you, 
How do, how does he compare just athletically and body type wise to James Williams? So I think James is more of a safety, and I think uh, you know um, Chase is more of a uh, linebacker. Like, um, okay. and I I think James is longer as well. Um, right. But you know they're getting long, freaky guy or long, lengthy right. guys, which is kind of freaky, and that's what you want to do. I mean. Um, pair him uh, again with like Jalen Harrell. Um, right. You know, they, they're just going to be able to do so many different things. Right. Right. Yeah. Do you, do you think the ranking, uh, that we have for him is fair or do you think he might deserve a little bump up in your opinion? I think he's probably good where he is right now. Um, okay. that's, that's what I think. Yeah. Cool. So, um, all right. More podcasts coming this week and, uh, Get ready, guys, because it's, it's going to be a big one on Saturday. Yeah, man. Take care.